Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts, Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank. It's Russell Wilcox here on Mountain Meister. Hey guys, it's Ben Shank. Today on the show, we have Kyle Miller. Kyle is a pioneering splitboarder who has quietly ticked off an impressive list of ups and downs in his home Cascadian range. A long-standing local at Crystal Mountain in Washington, Kyle's splitboard mission ramped up during the 2007 season when he summited and rode the five tallest volcanoes in the American Cascades. The list only gets bigger and more technical as the years have progressed. As of late, his focus has been on traversing the remote high country of the Cascades. Kyle, is there anything else that we didn't cover so our listeners can get to know you a little better? Other than the fact that I spend probably about 250 days a year in the mountains and I've been doing the Endless Winter Program for the past two years, nope, you've got it. Wow. What is the Endless Winter Program? I am northern Scandinavian, so I'm not a huge fan of the summer. So when it starts to get too hot here in Washington, I try to head down to, say, New Zealand or down to South America. And for instance, this last year, I uh, spent four months in New Zealand. And right when it started to turn to summer, I came right back to Washington for our winter. Kyle, you do splitboarding. And just so our audience knows, what is splitboarding? So a splitboard is actually a snowboard that's cut down the middle. And what it does is it separates into skis so that you can use your skis with a uh, skin fabric material on the bottom of it. So you can skin up to the top of a mountain in ski mode and then put the skis back together into a snowboard and ride back down. It's kind of like snowshoes, but far more efficient. And when you're snowboarding, does the splitboard feel the same as a snowboard? Until a few years ago, I would say that it was a little less stable, but with the technology push, they are 100% just as efficient as a solid snowboard. When did you actually make the switch over to splitboarding? Did you start with snowboarding? Uh, I started with snowboarding. I actually started snowboarding when I was about 20 years old. That's late. Yeah, it was really late, actually. Uh, I got into backcountry snowboarding about two years into snowboarding itself. And the reason behind that is because our snowpack is so efficient here in Washington that in April, we've got our deepest snowpack and the snow doesn't really melt out here in Washington until July and I wasn't ready to be done with my season. When you started snowboarding did you envision could you have possibly envisioned something like this happening? No yeah. not at all man like my mom joked my mom told one of my friends that uh, I was the most awkward kid that she ever saw like how am I a pro snowboarder? It makes no sense to me, but it's awesome. My joke is like, I'm not that great of a mountaineer. I'm not that great of a snowboarder, but I'm a damn good snowboard mountaineer. <laughs> you know, you've also done a lot of snowboarding in the Cascades in the summer. I didn't even realize you could do that. Did you get into that and always kind of have that in your sights once you started splitboarding? Um, No, not really. So here in Washington State, we have a thing called Turns All Year 
where people try to go on at least one ski or snowboard trip per month throughout the year because say Mount Rainier is just covered in glaciers so you can ski at any time of the year. It was actually a complete and total accident that I started getting into this turns all year thing but I actually was able to do 100 months of consecutive snowboard trips before I decided to retire my number. Yeah, I saw someone, he had 394 months. Oh, man. Unbelievable. And I, I saw yours as 120. And I mean, even 100, as you said, was just spectacular and can't even imagine. So 394 well, <laughs> months is almost 33 years. Not quite, yeah, not quite oh, 33 years. But yeah. It's just so wild. I, I decided to give it up because I remember one month I drove three hours to get to Rainier, uh, hiked in the rain for about an hour and a half, and snowboarded for a total of three or four minutes. And I was like, eh, I love this concept, but it's just not worth it. <laughs> and that's when I decided to retire my number. So let's get into this journey where you do all 25 volcanoes in the western U.S. So before we get into the details of that adventure, what does it feel like to do something that nobody else has? It's both exciting and terrifying at the same time. People think of it as a physical challenge, but I see it as a huge mental challenge. Being able to believe in yourself and to push yourself beyond your comfort levels. To realize that you just need to put these steps together and keep pushing forward and you can make it possible. You just got to keep looking forward and doing things one step at a time. So when you reach that point where you almost want to give up, what really pushes you to the next level? I'm a very stubborn person, and I don't like quitting. I can be harsh on myself when I fail at something. I'm I'm a very driven, motivated person. What I saw uh, when I was reading one of your articles is you had initially had a goal of 15 volcanoes, and then you actually did 25. How do you end up going 10 more? Okay, well, it, to make a long story short, um, I got into backcountry snowboarding, and I had a full-time job, and uh, I was a ski bum for a long time, and then I decided to get a full-time job because I was with a girl, and uh, she wanted me to get money and do all that type of stuff. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Surprise, surprise. But um, basically, we broke up, and I was like, well, back to my ski bum lifestyle, and then I had all the time in the world, so I just... Uh, would go on these road trips down to, say, Oregon and California. And the greatest thing is I didn't have a car when I was going up and down the Cascades. So wow. I would hitch a ride with somebody down to Oregon and climb some volcanoes in the area and then look on the Internet to see if somebody was heading off to a different direction. And I would just hitchhike my way across the volcanoes. So if you were hitchhiking, where were you staying at night? Uh, trailheads. Um, I stayed at Jefferson Lake for a little while. Uh, just random places, like wherever the ground was flat and there was nobody around. Was this in the winter time or the summer? Uh, winter and springtime. 2009-2010 season, you do an even harder string of mountains, the 10 highest mountains in the Northern Cascades. You want to maybe talk about that experience a little bit? Uh, 
Well, so I had just gotten done with all these volcanoes within the Cascade Range, and I'd always heard these stories of the North Cascades of Washington and how beautiful and remote these mountains were. And I knew my progression of getting stronger as a climber um, that I needed to go check out these areas. And um, once I saw what was out there, I really decided that I needed to come up with another project. And I've always had projects because they keep me motivated and they give me tasks that I can check off. And so I came up with the concept of doing the 10 highest peaks in Washington state. There was definitely some mountains that were in my nightmares before even seeing them in person. But I just ticked them off one by one, and I was so fortunate by conditions and weather and everything that it all turned out. Are you doing these ventures with other people, or are they mostly by yourself? I only do trips by myself in terrain that I am very, very familiar with. But uh, if I'm going into zones that I've never been to, then I definitely always have a partner with me. How long do these trips normally take? Do one big volcano. How long does that take up and down? I don't recommend this for people, but I can do Rainier in about nine hours. Oh, wow. Top bottom. You got to think, I'm snowboarding down, so I don't like stopping. I could be down to the bottom within 25 minutes. So it takes you eight and a half hours to go up. <laughs> yeah, about eight and a half hours to go up, about 25 minutes to go down. Which do you like more, the up or the down? Uh, you've got to love both. You really do have to love both. Um, I just got done doing a trip about a week and a half ago where I went on Rainier up the Emmons Glacier and it took 10 hours of breaking trail to get up to an area called the Inner Glacier and I GoPro videotaped myself going down the run and it was two minutes and 36 seconds. Okay, so let's say you can only do one. You can either spend the entire winter season only doing ascents for 10 hours a day or uh-huh. you can only do 30 minutes of descents every single day. What do you choose? <laughs> well, I guess the question is, are we talking about skiing down in powder or are we talking about skiing down in bulletproof nasty ice? You know, it's it's a toss-up. You take, oh, what, you, yeah. you take what you can get. <laughs> it's always a toss-up, but I'm going to have to go with the downhill. Downhill? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm a snowboarder at heart. <laughs> what are you usually snowboarding on? Oh, I, I like everybody else, I strive for powder. Like, I definitely love powder. Um, During the springtime, I really like corn skiing, too, though, because you can get on steeper slopes, and it's uh, you don't have to worry about avalanches nearly as much. Now, have you ever been in an avalanche? Yeah, I've been in a one, two, maybe seven. So, okay. <laughs> and what's that like? It's very terrifying because you've lost all control. Um, you're in the hands of nature, and uh, all you can do is hope for the best. And, um, like you made the mistake of getting yourself onto that slope and getting yourself stuck in that avalanche. And all you really can do is hope for the best. You've done a ton of these adventures. Have you ever been out there and said to yourself, oh boy, I'm in trouble? I guess I'd be like, oh boy, I got myself into a pretty bad situation. How am I going to get myself out of it? Tell us about one of those times. Um... One time I was out in the North Cascades of Washington and um, I, my boot liners were wet. So I put them by a fire and I fell asleep 
And when I woke up the next morning, I realized that they had burnt themselves. They fell into the fire. And I woke up the next morning and I didn't have boot liners, which the big problem with that was I still had to skin back out 20 miles and climb up and over a mountain and snowboard down 4,000 vertical feet. How do you do that without boot liners? (laughs) Well, you... uh... I don't recommend this, but I took sandals. I happened to have sandals and I put them inside my snowboard boots, put two pairs of socks on and put garbage bags over my feet and uh, very carefully climbed the mountains and I was able to get myself out. Did you have an engineering background to put all that together? Well, I watched MacGyver. That's got to count as something. Okay, there you go. Another incident that I came across when I was uh, checking some of your stuff out is you you almost fell over a 1,000 foot cliff. What happened there? Yeah. I was doing a photography shoot and sometimes photography is interesting because they want this perfect angle of a slope either above or below you. And at that time, uh, the photographer that I was working with, Jason Hummel, very talented photographer, he wanted to get a view of the summit of Mount Fernow. And to do that, I would have to ski down a few turns on a slope that was above a cliff. And uh, it was really sketchy because when I went to take a turn, it was solid ice and I lost my edge and started sliding down. Oh, wow. And I was very fortunate that a rock, one single rock was sticking out of the slope. And that was the rock that stopped me from tumbling to my death. Oof. Wow. How do you come out of something like that? What's going through your head? Oh, I was absolutely terrified. You know, I was completely shaken. I needed time to think about that. So when I got to the bottom of the mountain, I was off on a daze. You know, my mind was pondering what had happened. If you had to do that whole experience to get that amazing shot, do you think you would do it again? It wasn't even that great of a shot. (laughs) No. (laughs) So I'm watching a video of you, and you're talking about during these trips, you're doing 15 miles of hiking, skinning, many thousands of vertical feet, and then you go into, okay, I'm getting these serious blisters on my feet, I'm running out of food at the end of the trips. Those all sound miserable, but for some reason you like that? Do you ever want to give up? It's the challenge. You know, like, I believe in the balance of life to experience something great you have to also experience something bad. You know, if all these missions were super easy, then how are they memorable? Mm -hmm. You know, like anybody and everybody would be doing them because they were so easy. Um, It's the challenge and pushing yourself through those challenges, you know, that are the memorable experiences. In my past, I, I feel like those moments when I was most at risk or just feeling terrible, those are really the ones that stick. So those are the ones worth doing. And you have this really unbelievable life. And you, <laughs> Thank you. Well, you do all these, these awesome adventures. And what really supports you financially? I mean, do you just not spend any money? Okay, so before, so I'm a professional athlete now. I'm very honored to say that, that nice. I worked for Eddie Bauer, which is a local Pacific Northwest company. I also work for K2. And they sponsor me. I am not a rich person at all, but um, I'm very frugal with my money from back in the days when I had no job and was running around. So now, so now I can get finer cheese. 
stuff like that. But like, <laughs> um, but before that, I was uh, snowboarding nine months out of the year and working manual labor construction for three months out of the year and working seven days a week. And I would not spend a penny on anything. I would just save every single paycheck. And then during the winter, I would just slack off and snowboard all the time. Eddie Bauer isn't really someone you hear too often in the ski industry. How did you decide to work with them? Well, first thing, Eddie Bauer has a very, very long history in the Pacific Northwest. Um, So I was doing research and a lot of people don't know, but Eddie Bauer was the first company to patent down coats. And the reason that he came up with the concept of down coats was because he was caught in a rainstorm in the Olympic Mountains in Washington State and freezing and shivering. And he had heard about this type of coat from his uncle or something like that. And that's how he came up with the genius idea of down. And I could relate to that because I've been shivering in the Olympics as well. So I was like, I can relate to this guy. This is a company from my home. Like, I need to re- represent the Pacific Northwest. And uh, like I said, it's it's home for me. Now, like, say with K2, they used to do uh, training missions for their snowboards up on the north side of Mount Rainier, which that that's where I learned how to snowboard. And so both of those Pacific Northwest-based and have a really close connection to me personally. This lifestyle wouldn't be possible without sponsorships, correct? Mm, not really. Um, people do it, mm-hmm. and you live a poor existence, but I like to say that I'm a rich person with a poor person's bank account. <laughs> nice. Well, you're rich in happiness, and that's what's important. I'm really rich in memories, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you know, it's been a pretty epic journey that you've had, and splitboarding is starting to become more and more popular. Does that excite you, or does that more worry you going into the years with maybe more people on your mountains that you feel like you'd like to be alone on? Well, it just makes me realize that my feet are going to hurt more because I got to skin out farther. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's an honor to see splitboarding growing in the way it has. Uh, before, say, four or five years ago, I had never toured with a splitboarder, really. And so it now, if I wanted to, I could exclusively tour with splitboarders. I mean, I go sometimes on missions where I see more splitboarders than skiers. A uh, good example of, I always used to call it, I'm going backcountry skiing. And now snowboards will be like, no, you're going backcountry riding. How can you say that? I'm like, what? There's a difference? What's going on here? Yeah, you're one of the only people I've ever heard say I'm going to go backcountry skiing. And I just think it's it's really great because there doesn't really need to be this divide between skiers and snowboarders. I'm a telemark skier, and so... Oh, you got the worst of it then, eh? <laughs> At least I can say I'm going skiing and I don't get too many bad looks. But you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fix your heels, fix your bindings. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> One of the things I'm not really familiar with splitboarding is the actual binding setup. How does that work? Are, are there pins? Does it slide? How does yours work? Now there's numerous different companies making uh, splitboard bindings. So as a splitboarder, you have the options between going with an AT ski boot or you can go with a standard snowboarding boot. Now I use a standard snowboarding boot. So I'm at this moment, I'm using a system from a company called Karakorum which is a leverage system that uh, you 
basically put flat down on the board and with a lever it connects to it as a snowboard and then it's also got kind of a pin in the middle of it that you can push down into ski mode so have you ever been deep into the backcountry and had any issues with your bindings or lost any parts or uh only about a hundred (laughs) times I remember this one time uh, I was using a older Spark R&D system and they used to have pins that would hold your bindings in on ski or snowboard mode. And I was on a seven day traverse and I was walking with my snowboard and I dropped the pin and I spent the next hour and a half looking through the mountains to try to find that pin. And I was very fortunate that I found it because without that, I would have been walking through way steep snow for the next uh, 36 hours. Oof. That sounds yeah. almost as miserable as not having boot liners. Yeah. <laughs> so the, you're on a seven-day traverse. Do you, mm-hmm. do you clean yourself on these traverses? Uh, no, I was on a 16-day traverse this last spring, and I remember I was about six or seven days into it, and I told my friend Jason Hummel, I'm like, I've had enough. I don't care if that spring is surrounded in snow and it is freezing cold. Mm-hmm. I am jumping into that water, and that's what I did, and I jumped in, splashed around, cleaned myself up, and Hummel was like, you are absolutely crazy. But he was in that water five minutes after I was. <laughs> what do you see in your future? Do you do you see yourself looking to have a family and settle down, or do you just want to keep kind of shredding as long as you can? Um, I like to I like to keep my options open. I don't know what's in the future, and I kind of want it that way. It makes it a surprise. So if if any pretty ladies are interested in uh, dealing with my crazy life, then then thank you very much. <laughs> but who knows what's going to happen. So you right. haven't found any crazy ladies out there that'll join you on your trips? Oh, there's no such thing as a crazy lady. <laughs> Good answer. Yeah, I know how it works. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. I've ski toured with uh, quite a few girls. I remember, what was it? Two years ago, I decided to almost exclusively ski tour with girls because they say that you are, um, what is it, two-thirds less likely of getting caught in an avalanche when you're with females because they actually listen to uh, what the signs are telling them compared to males, which is like supposedly ego-driven. 90% of people in avalanches are men. There's got to be some sort of uh, psychology there or something that we're missing as men, but... Yeah, well, that was my whole thing. I was like, oh, man, I'm at the age which they say 32 years old is a typical male who gets caught in the avalanche. Like, how can I deter from that? I'm going to ski tour exclusively with females. (laughs) And so that's what I tried. So did that work? Eh, It worked pretty good for a while. Great. Well, you know, we've we've talked about a lot of things. Uh, You have your own website, uh, whereiskylemiller.com. Yep, that's it. A lot of great resources on there, a lot of great links. And uh, do you have any other trips that you'll be posting on there in the next year or so? Well, check this out. In a week, I'm hopping on a plane. I'm going to Iceland for a week, and then I'm going to Norway for four weeks. Great. Well, uh, yeah, it's been really fun talking with you. If there are any other interests in following Kyle, definitely check out his website. You can find some more information on our website, mtnmeister.com. 
Is there any other way that the listeners can connect with you, Kyle, other than your website? Oh, yeah. Um, I've been really going on uh, Instagram. So if they want to check out Kyle Miller 411 on Instagram, I'm updating my photos daily. I always joke around that after I'm done being a professional snowboarder, I'm going to be a professional photographer. So if anyone wants to see beautiful photos of what I do and what I see, like that's the way to do it. You got any uh, any other plans for today? I got to get my wisdom tooth removed, man. What? Today? (laughs) Yeah, today, man. There's so many stories. I went to Bolivia and I had a infected tooth that I had to get ripped out. It took 15 hours and five days, got shattered, and I had no painkillers the whole entire time. And this is in freaking Bolivia, man. That sounds like uh, Castaway. Have you seen Castaway? Yeah, that's what I've been thinking of this whole time. Like, I swear, I'm going to rip out my own damn tooth, but... (laughs) I'm like, oh, I'll just pay somebody to do it. I've been dealing with this for like the past three months. Ooh, oh, yeah. I had my wisdom teeth taken out in December, and somehow I have six wisdom teeth. And Whoa! So, yeah, I basically had to empty my bank just to pay by tooth for them to rip it out of my face and then look like a chipmunk. So I'm just finally recovering. I actually had some nerve damage in my face, too, and it was not a good situation, but I'm fully recovered now, and, and it's it's all good, but... Russell still looks like he has nerve damage in his face, but apparently it's all healed. Ben's just jealous, yeah. Good luck with the procedure. Okay, cool. Yeah, thank you so much for your time, guys. Thanks so much. Man, 120 months straight of skiing. How many do you think you've done? I honestly, November, December, January, February, March, April. Oh, okay, that's not that bad. So six. Six, yeah. I mean, if any of the listeners have done any more than even like 20... Let us know. Yeah, pretty 20, cool. that's that's pretty good. Maybe we'll even feature you on one of the Mountain Meister episodes. Maybe. Yeah, and if you like what we're doing, uh, there's a very easy and specific way that you can help. It's true. We really want to be transparent with our business decisions, so we're going to tell you exactly how and why you should help us. A huge source of growth for podcasts is this iTunes new and noteworthy section. Only podcasts within their first eight weeks of launch can make this section. And it really exposes and gets the word out about our podcast. Yeah, Ben and I have heard it can help grow your podcast 300% in those first eight weeks. And that's just huge. But we really need your help. There's two main drivers that can help us. Five-star reviews through iTunes. And then also just subscribing and downloading, listening every day. It's no cost to you. We need you to do two things. Subscribe to our podcast. So go to iTunes and subscribe. And also leave us a review. And if you'd be so kind, that would be a five-star review. Thanks for listening.